When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Or football people who like football. Here come two words for you. Purple Live. This is Purple Live with Matthew Collar. Matthew Collar and ESPN's Courtney Cronin here on our maiden voyage of Purple Live. So this is basically the Purple Podcast. If you don't subscribe, then you should, wherever you get your podcasts. If you got that little Purple app on your phone, click it, type in Purple Podcast. We do about five a week. I'll have special guests. I also do a couple a week with Sage Rosenfels and with Courtney Cronin. Now, usually this takes place out at TCO Performance Center in a little side room with a picture of Sid Hartman looking at us. A very large picture. A very large picture. A very honking large picture. (laughs) So so Sid (laughs) is always watching over us uh, to do the Purple Podcast normally, but we have decided to bring it live to you each week here. We're normally going to be five to seven talking all football, but today Paul Molitor happened to get fired. So we are on six to seven. We will talk with Pro Football Focus's Mike Renner coming up at six thirty. We're going to ask him about the offensive explosion around the league and whether we are basically going to be watching college football for the rest of our lives in the NFL on Sunday. Arena football. Arena football <laughs> is a good way to describe it. Uh, but first, Courtney, I want to start off with it's four games. The NFL men always talk about quarters, the quarters, right? So we have completed the first quarter of the season. So let us start with the quarterback and let me first give the phone number. Cause if you want to chime in on this conversation, six, five, one, six, four, six, eight, two, five, five. How are we evaluating and how are we grading the first four games of Kirk cousins in Minnesota? Do you want a specific grade from me? If you want, yeah. okay. I like I like that I like that scale. I'm gonna give him a B minus. Okay. We've seen the whole gamut, which it didn't take long to see the very good of Kirk Cousins, as in the throws that you know only he can make. Only you know the, those miraculous thread the needle, the one in Green Bay, several sideline throws that I was really shocked uh, he made in the Rams game, mm-hmm. and then you see the really really bad the bad Kirk, the thing that he was that we were all warned about would happen and matriculate over from Washington to Minneapolis um, in the fumbles and, and some of the the field vision mistakes and just not being able to see anything at all in the Buffalo game and you know some of the throws that were nearly made uh, in the second half half of the 49ers game that kind of make you cringe that one that was almost picked off and it was intempt, uh, meant for Stefan Diggs. That's the type of stuff that scares me. There's been a couple of those that yes. have gone through people's hands. And I think that it's still early 
and I, I, I'm very pleased with the bounce back game of Cousins coming off of the horrendous, I don't even know what that was, Buffalo performance and what he was able to do in Los Angeles. But I think the biggest thing you can walk away with is that the Vikings got exactly what they signed up for when they got an $84 million quarterback who you didn't bring him here to be, yes, he's the missing piece, but you didn't bring him here to do it all on his own. And the fact that they are one, two, and one shows you that you can get just enough out of Kirk Cousins in certain circumstances and you really need your run game and you really need your defense to back him. So when you were in college, did everyone ever um, bomb a test and your professor said, all right, look, maybe the test was a little too hard and we're going to grade this on a curve. And so instead of a 55 that you got, now that's a 70. Say, okay. Because everyone bombed this, so it was more my fault as the teacher man than it was your fault as the student. Did that ever happen to you? Well, I was in a lot of journalism classes, so we just wrote yeah, papers. Nobody, right, nobody bombed those. Um, I was in finite math. It took me three times to pass it. It was so awful that I was probably the reason that the, that the scale went down. Uh, but yeah, I understand what you're saying. Okay, so that's how I'm going to grade Kirk Cousins. Okay. I'm going to grade him on a scale because there is one thing working really hard against him and another thing that we did not expect whatsoever to happen. The thing that's working hard against him is that his offensive line has given up just about the most pressures in the NFL so far. And the other thing that's working against him is that his defense has not been anywhere close to what we expected his defense to be. So I think I would probably say just his overall play, I would go with something like a C plus because of the Buffalo game. And that and that was an F game for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a couple of fumbles. That's giving away 10 points right away. That's not being able to get your team back in the game against a defense that's not all that great and had been smoked two weeks in a row. There was no excuse for that game. There have been other issues that he's had uh, near pick six against the 49ers that gets dropped the fumble at the end of the game with the Rams, but also he's put up some really great numbers, and especially when he's had time to throw the ball, he's put up great numbers too. So I think I am going to grade that on a curve and say that he gets a B-plus for these first four games because they should probably have three wins. They should. And that's, but the reason I have him at a B minus is because I'm taking a look at his body of work compared to where we expected it to be, and he's got to be thinking... This is deja vu all over again. He's Mm -hmm. got a run game that can't support him, that he can't rely on, and you're asking Kirk Cousins in multiple circumstances from week two uh, to week four. Let's just for you know put an X over week three because it wasn't going to happen when you run the ball four times and he's got what fifty five something pass attempts. Um, You're asking, but no run game, no run game in any game. Really, And there's reasons to that, which I think we will definitely get to when we talk offensive line. Uh, I'm ready to go in on that, by the way, as I've been ready since April. Um, <laughs> but anyways, I think, you know, with Kirk, I mean, he's you're, if you ask him to win games on his own and really he's not going to beat you with his arm all the time. Certain times he can. That's not going to be your strategy. It's not sustainable. I mean, you take a look at the offensive imbalance right now, and he's got to be shaking his head wondering, what more can you ask of from me? When you, you know, they brought him here saying, hey, it's cool. You, you don't don't play with the pressure that you had in Washington the last three years because you've got the number one defense that's going to force turnovers for you, that's going to score off of those turnovers and, and help you, help bail you out of some bad situations. And that hasn't happened yet. So all of that is shifting on top of him. And I think it's, you know, I guess I'm a little bit 
nicer, not nicer, I guess I'm just, you know, I'm giving him more benefit of the doubt right now in my grade because I do like the good that we've seen with Kirk Cousins, but the bad is a consistent bad. It's a consistent no pocket pocket awareness. Mm-hmm. Well, like we saw the last fumble, which, you know, he kept them in that game with what he did against with three touchdowns and, you know, incredible passing performance against the Rams. He also lost them that game on that last attempt and, and you know, stalled any chance of a scoring drive with that fumble. And that was the concern with Case Keenum, whether he would be able to win games late. And if you were down, you could get that final drive from him. You saw it in Denver uh, last night. That saw Case Keenum everything could not from get, Case Keenum. Right. Yes, you did. The good and the bad. I really, and the really wanted, bad. I wanted the hook and ladder to work, though. Uh, 651-646-8255 to chime in. Grading Kirk Cousins first four games, and other of the like things that we will be talking about. Going to get to Delvin Cook, the defense, offensive line, all of that here on Purple Live. Let's go to Joe to start us off. What's up, Joe? Hey, good evening. Thanks for uh, thanks for entertaining me and having, having me on the program. Appreciate it. Sure thing, man. Uh, yeah, so when I first called, I called in right after I heard the B-, and then you guys kind of came full circle with what my arguments would have been. Uh, I like the B-plus grade. Uh, if you look at the fumbles, the offensive line, that's all on the line. and he, he has held the ball a little bit longer. Let's keep in mind he's got a new offensive coordinator as well, so John Filippo being new to the whole system. But all those fumbles are strip sacks that are coming off of Riley Reef of all people who last year played really well. Um, so I can't hold those fumbles against him. It's like he's running off in the pocket and then fumbling the ball because of a hit. It's all coming from behind as he's in the throwing motion or just about to step up in the pocket. So I can't hold those against him. Uh, has he thrown a pick yet this year? Because I, I don't, I don't. If he's thrown one, that's probably the top of the list. I, I, it's one, two, two, I think, right? Maybe two. Okay, right. I mean, he's done a. I think he's done a great job with uh, with his passes. Uh, you've already talked about it. The old line has been garbage, and uh, the defense has put him in a position to have to play from behind all the time. And as a result, we've had no run game. So. I mean, keep in mind, coming off last year, we, we, we're going to plug this guy into last year's team. Man, we're 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 four and zero, but we're, we're not last year's team as an offensive line, as a defense, and as a run game. How how can we really put this guy through the ringer and expect him to be anything more than what he's been? I think a B plus grade uh, is there, you know. And if and if we can get a field goal made in Green Bay, mm-hmm. you know, he's probably more of an A minus because we hold uh, that win loss record probably up against him unfairly to some degree. Yeah, thanks a lot for the call, Joe. Awesome, thanks, Joe. Um, I'm gonna pull apart one thing you said about Riley Reef, and you know, he had two defenders on on both of those sacks. Excuse me, on both of those fumbles you're talking about, the one against the Bills and the one against the Rams where I think it was the rookie um, got around him there late in the game. And to me, when you watch back that film, Kirk had room to step up. I mean, Mm -hmm. he he did his, Riley Reef did his job both times to where he can only hold him for so long. And that's my, that's my, you know, the, I guess the line that you have to toe there because yes, I mean, there's, there's no doubt in that this offensive line is, a hot mess right now and facing a lot of problems. Riley Reef is really not your problem. Yes, the Buffalo game was an anomaly. He's probably playing through a foot injury is what we find out later on. I mean, the fact that he only allowed four pressures coming back on that short week with that foot injury, I don't credit him with giving up that, you know, with leading to the strips, the, you know, the strip forcing the fumble. I don't. Well, the other thing with Kirk, too, is Kirk has a history of fumbling. It's yeah. not like this. Just, Most in the league since yes, 2015. It's not like he just started fumbling mm-hmm. this year. So, I mean, he has a history of that. So, I don't know if, I mean, I think some of this you, you do have to put on him. It's not like he's been terrible, but you do have to look at 
everything that's gone on and say, okay, yeah, well, that's something that needs to change with him. Yeah, you're right. When you're at the top of the league and when you watch the tape from Washington, you see it a lot. You see guys coming around the edge, and a lot of times the tackle, and I think Riley Reef was trying to do this, a lot of times the tackle, if he's getting beat a little bit, he tries to push Push the guy past and then have his quarterback step up. Well, one of those two things didn't happen. Let's go to uh, Don in Ohio here on Purple Live. What's up, Don? How are you tonight, guys? Don, Don from Ohio. This is our famous Twitter follower. Yes, first of all, first of all, they should rename the show Vikings Live with Courtney Cronin. That's it. It would probably get so better ratings if we just did that. I highly doubt that. I think more people would turn it off, but appreciate the vote of confidence. Completely disagree. This should be exactly how it should be. It's just you're the star of the show. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I'm sorry that you're getting weighed down by that other person. I I just won't name. All right, Don, get to your point. (laughs) First of all, Kirk Cousins, solid B. I think he's done good, but you're right. I think the fumbles have occurred him, and I think he's missed some. I think he's missed some uh, plays where he, he should have had, especially in Buffalo. But who knows about that Buffalo game? Second of all, uh, is it time for Mike Zimmer to give the play calling duties? I think it's, it's, it's Georgia. Is it now officially George Edwards' turn to get a chance at the defense? Um, how I look at it because my philosophy is this is being a Vikings long life, long life Vikings fan. This team reminds me so much like the 1999 Vikings team who just is, I think, had overconfident going into the season. That team got overconfident going into 99 and just did not have the same spark as it did going into 99. Uh, they replaced Cunningham with Jeff George. It brought the spark. Is, is Zimmer giving up the defensive play calling duties to George Edwards? Would that create the same spark? As as the whole, you know, as in that manner. And the third question I have for the two of you: Have either of you, could either of you, get a Kevin McDermott type of injury and work the next day? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've worked through the flu and pretty much anything. I, you know, just wrap it up. I'm I'm that tough to have my pinky ripped off and keep yeah. typing, right? Don, Type, we're going to start charging you for all fingers. these questions. Yeah, you know, actually, I'm going to block you on Twitter, Don. Well, th- <laughs> thanks thanks for the call. We, we got to get to a break, and then we will continue to take your calls. Purple Live. This is the live version of the Purple Podcast. If you don't subscribe, then wherever you get your podcast, go type it in. It'll be right there. Myself, Matthew Collar, also Courtney Cronin, Manny Hill is producing. Taking your calls, also want to talk about We'll answer one of those questions about whether Zimmer should give up the play-calling duty. And Delvin Cook, what can we expect now that we've seen how much the offensive line is struggling? We'll be back here. It's Purple Live. In a sea of purple, this is One Deep Dive. It's Purple Live with Matthew Collar. Hard-fought game. Um, You know, give the Rams a lot of credit. They did some... uh, some very good things. Uh, you know, we didn't play well enough defensively, uh, in the, especially in the passing game, uh, to uh, to affect the game. But I thought offensively, uh, we did some good things, moved the ball well, um, and just came up short. 
That was Minnesota Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer, Matthew Collar here, along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. This is Purple Live, our first go at this. We're going to do it every Tuesday where we come in here from either 5 to 7, 6 to 7. It'll be just us 6 to 7. Judd will chime in from 5 to 7 and do a live version of the Purple Podcast. So if you want to chime in, 651 646 8255 651-646-8255. We were grading Kirk Cousins, but got a question from a caller about whether Mike Zimmer should give up the play-calling duties. Courtney, your thoughts? We've been asking him about this for the last two years now, and he's kind of hinted at it. I think it was a fun conversation we had with him right before the 49ers game where he said, you know, in a very joking manner, that it's a pain in his rear end, that they're not doubling his pay any, and that... You know, it's something that he thinks about every single day. I actually wrote about this last week. I saved that for specifically for this week because he's uh, last week because he's a defensive, the last head coach to call defensive plays, and he's going against the wonder kid uh, in Sean McVay mm-hmm. who calls his plays and thought it was kind of interesting. McVay is eons ahead of everybody else, apparently. He has like a clock management specialist that he employs. Uh, Somebody on staff, Jed Fish, actually, Minnesota fans might be familiar with him. He's a former offensive coordinator for the Gophers. Um, Just seems that he's got it all together and that there's a lot on Zimmer's plate right now. And I know that this was something after it appeared in certain circumstances in Thursday's game that he got out schemed Mm -hmm. and that, you know, that there would be some consideration that maybe, maybe it's time, but. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think that Zimmer likes the control. It's his defense. He said it himself that he doesn't want to be a second-guessing head coach, that mm-hmm. if George Edwards were to call plays and he didn't like something, he doesn't want that He doesn't want that kind of energy on his sideline and to, to, for a degree. I mean, obviously he'd be up um, in the booth, but you know that to me is just something that's probably not going to happen. Let's go to Dakota here in Iowa. What's up, Dakota? Hey, guys. Thanks for the call. A um, couple things. Just wanted to start by a little positive shout-out. Um, even with how much we praise them, in a season full of question marks, I still don't think Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen get enough credit for how good they are uh, and how important they are to this team. And then another question, who do you guys think is more to blame for the rough start, Mike Zimmer and the defensive issues or Rick Spielman and the offensive line issues? Mm. Like that one. That's that a good is, question. That is a great question, Dakota. Thank you. Dakota, for, uh, I want you to in. come to availability tomorrow and ask Mike that question <laughs> yourself. Uh, let me just say first that uh, I wrote about that very subject with Diggs and Thielen, mm-hmm. and everything is clicking with them and Kirk Cousins, which that is the silver lining to the start. But uh, to your question, whether it's Spielman on the offensive line or Zimmer on defense, I mean, I think, is that like a 50-50 split? Because, you know, even when I'm watching Chicago, they have an offensive lineman, James Daniels, who's a rookie, who's playing for them and playing pretty well. That's another guy that the Vikings could have brought in. There was no effort in free agency aside from Tom Compton. They make a late move to get Brett Jones, and he's just a fill-in guy. And now they've really been reeling, and it's as good as the offense has been passing the ball overall. It has hurt them quite a bit, especially in the run game, to have this offensive line where they just simply did not replace Joe Berger and then Nick Easton got hurt. And now, as Mike Zimmer said last Friday, thinks the offensive line is set, which that's kind of a scary thought that you're not saying, hey, Brett Jones, Danny Isadora, some of the guys riding the bench, and I'm not putting Brian O'Neill's name in there because I still don't think he's ready after watching him against Buffalo. Um, 
it's it's I don't know how much better it's going to get. I think that this is this is what you're dealt with. And truth be told, you probably have two guys on this offensive line right now, two, maybe three that could start right now on another team. Yeah. And that's a problem. Yep. And one of them is starting out of position. Exactly. I assume you mean elf line, Remmers and and Remmers. Right. Yeah. I I will say the same thing I said to Judd on Ventline on Thursday after the Rams game is, okay, they they used their first-round pick on Mike Hughes, and Mike Hughes might end up being good two, three years down the line. I still think he is going to be pretty good. He's shown some signs of it. But then, okay, you do that. Then you use your second-round pick on Brian O'Neill, who is, again, might be good down the line, but he's nowhere near ready to play right now. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me because, okay, Rick Spielman, in the fifth round, you traded up to get a kicker that could kick the ball 60 yards, even though he didn't have a very good year kicking at Auburn in the SEC. And then you cut him after week two because he couldn't make kicks. So for me, it's like, why didn't you, if you're, if you're sitting back in the fifth round saying, oh, this Carlson kid, he can kick the ball 60 yards. He's a big-legged kicker. We should trade up and get him. Why weren't you using that same approach like in the second round when there were mm-hmm. offensive linemen to be had even if you can't just take one with your second round pick, why are you not thinking, hey, maybe can can we move up a few spots right. and yeah. take an offensive it, right. lineman because the run, Joe Berger just retired and we need one. And the run started. I mean, we've been over this. Day two, Saturday morning or Friday morning, Friday afternoon, just starts they continue to fly off there the were board. Linemen to be had. And right. and he even said that this was they came off the board so much quicker than he anticipated. The run on interior linemen um, was probably the fastest he's ever seen. And that they didn't consider at that point. I mean, obviously, you don't want to trade away your draft capital for much further down the road. But, you know, the Daniel Carlson pick, I still think this is going to go down as one of the worst in franchise history, because have we not learned you don't trust college kickers when they're veterans on the street looking for jobs that, this is the Robert Aguayo experience part two. Mm-hmm. You don't want this. I don't, I just don't, I was so blown away by that. And it's like, we all called this happening back in April. Well, I like Manny's point of why are you trading up at one point to get a kicker, but not trading up to get something you mm-hmm. really desperately your need. Your kicking game was fine. Right. And like Kai right. Breath was fine last year. And you can probably replace him with another veteran who's bouncing around who you could better predict. And ultimately Dan Bailey comes on the market and you end up, replacing Kai Forbath ultimately with him, but the logic didn't carry over. For some reason, they didn't want to move up in the second, but did in the fifth. I think, uh, well, to be to to be fair, I think it would have cost them a lot more to move up in the second. Sure. You I know, for, I they got, and the they got one of those, said. they got one of those picks back from the, from the fifth round pick that they got for Dan Bailey. Well, you know, I, I think that the point is not for Dan going Bailey, back to, going back to the question though, that Dakota was asking is about Spielman versus Zimmer. Mm-hmm. And I look at this as the front office gave them no help on draft night and they gave them help in free agency and Kirk cousins. And of course, Sheldon Richardson. But I think that, if you were trying to predict a defense to be number one again, we knew that you weren't going to be able to. So stacking up the offense, knowing that your quarterback needs the best protection he could possibly get, because that's who he's always been. When he's great, it's when he gets great protection, and when he's not, it's when he doesn't. That's his whole career starting in Washington. So to neglect that and only get a developmental-type lineman, 
I kind of put it more on that than I do on the defense. I also think that the defense probably will get better. Let's go to Tom in Arizona. What's up, Tom? Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on the air here. Um, I just have a question, and I'm just confused. As bad as the defense has been, where where is George I- Iloka? And, I mean, can he be somebody to cover the tight ends or – um, or third safety, some sort. I just I haven't seen him on the field or heard anything, you know, about him in the last few weeks, and I'm just trying to understand why we're not using him more. Manny, we need to get shirts made. Where <laughs> is George Iloka? We should start like a Twitter feed that just says, "Did George Iloka play? <laughs> Did George Iloka play?" And it'll and just be yes for the most part, or no. It says, well, he played no. one snap. Thanks like, for the call, Tom. But, Tom, he played one snap on uh, in defense. Last Thursday, it was actually his first defensive snap, I believe, of the 2018 season because he has played quite a bit on special teams. But I'm with you. It's a it's a question that reveals a head scratching answer. When I asked Mike Zimmer about this on the conference call last Friday, he said that, you know, he anticipates he's going to get his opportunity. But right now, Zimmer just has some safeties that he likes better at this point. I was kind of blown away by that because you bring a guy like Iloka in who you drafted, who knows your scheme and, and comes in here in August saying, yeah, like I'm ready to get caught up. I know about 85% of the calls right now. Um, highly touted guy that, you know, it would make sense to slot him in right behind Sandejo and Smith as, you know, your third safety or potentially even some three safety looks where he could be the deep safety and Harrison Smith could move up. There were so many potential things here that looked really good on paper, but it just hasn't panned out. And when you say, we're going to look at everything on our defense. Mm-hmm. I think personnel changes are, to me, that's the top of the list. It, it could be coming with George Iloka. I would say it's a big challenge to come in here and learn a defense on the fly this quickly. Uh, but the, there's also the possibility that Iloka just doesn't have what he used to. Let's get in a, another quick call here, and then we've got Mike Remmer from uh, Pro Football Focus. What's up, Jimmy? Hey, guys. Um, great show. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think uh, this next game is uh, going to be the decider. I, I, to me, it smells a lot like 2016, seven, eight, and one, something like that. Um, but I thought Di Filippo would come in and have a lot more creativity to his offense. Um, and I'm not seeing what I would hope to be that innovative, young, creative mix it up kind of offensive coordinator what's your guys thoughts on that let me let me just answer your question real quick and then we've got to get to a break get to a break uh my answer on that is i think that they have been sort of pigeonholed into a certain way of playing on offense because of the situations of the game i mean because their defense can't stop anyone and they get behind to the Rams and they get behind to the Bills and they get behind to the Packers. I mean, we haven't seen them really play from ahead at all. And I would also say that it looks a lot like Philadelphia's offense last year. I think he carried over a lot of different things. Uh, My buddy Bobby Peters, who wrote a book on the Philadelphia offense last year, I've been going through it with him and there's a lot of the same concepts. So it's, it, he uses a lot of different things that all the other top coordinators are using, but it isn't like Sean McVay level. So if we were expecting that, but that's the best of the best. So let's, uh, I think the Flippo though, just real quick, Courtney, I think he's done a, a good job so far, don't you? I mean, he's had one hand tied behind his back the whole time he's been here because of the offensive line. I think that that question of why didn't you run the ball more? I mean, Buffalo was an anomaly. I don't understand why there were four rushing attempts total 
that that to me was was off. But every other time, I mean, when your running backs are getting hit in the backfield and, and you have to change protections multiple points and and stuff is still not good. I, I, I you know to me that's that's not on him. That's on the personnel. Sorry, Manny, I went late there. Thank you for the call. Jimmy, we will talk to Pro Football Focus's Mike Renner when we come back about the Vikings facing the Philadelphia Eagles and the offensive explosion in the NFL here on Purple Live. Purple, purple, and more purple. This is Purple Live with Matthew Collar. Matthew Collar here along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin, Purple Live, our maiden voyage here. We will be here every Tuesday talking Minnesota Vikings football. This is the live version of the Purple Podcast, which you can get wherever you get podcasts. You'd use the little app thing on your phone, then go there, type in Purple Podcast, and you can subscribe from there. So now joining us on Purple Live from Pro Football Focus is Mike Renner. And Mike, I have a task for you here live on the air. Fix the Vikings defense. Go. Fix it. Uh, I think play some lesser offenses is going to be a big help. When you face the Rams and the uh, Packers, it tends to be uh, two of the best offenses in the NFL. There's not much fixing going into that uh, for what they bring to the table. So I'm not sure there's any quick fix, but I think it's just they'll gel as the season wears on. Is part of it also, Mike, that the NFL, like, no one can stop anyone from throwing from 400 yards anymore? I mean, what is your take on why every quarterback seems to be putting up at least 350 yards a game? Yeah, I think a lot of, you see the spread of offensive minds throughout the NFL. You just have a lot better coaching. I think a lot better play calling. The spread offense works. Passing the ball works. And I think we've seen passing and the sort of decision-making from offense coordinators get better in the recent years with how they distribute their run pass. And so I think that's just a big part of it. Mike, it brings up a good point. I mean, we talked to Sheldon Richardson about this briefly yesterday, just about the offensive explosion in the NFL. And, you know, when you're used to seeing quarterbacks throwing 20, 25 times a game, and now they're throwing 50 times a game, um, just how much harder that is for, for defenses. And, I mean, for for the product of what the Vikings have faced uh, within the first four weeks of the season, as you said, really good teams offensively, a lot of play action. How much do you put on that as the factor for the Vikings not being able to start much and be able to generate much of a pass rush? Yeah, I think that's been a big reason. Also, one of the biggest things about the Vikings that I've said throughout this year is they're just thin along their defensive line. That front four is fantastic, but after that front four, and once they lost you know, Everson Griffin, there's no one else after that. They really have no one who can put pressure on quarterbacks no real sub-package rusher who can get the job done. So if, you know, like you said, if you're going up against a team that's passing 50 times, sort of the, everyone talks about how running the ball wears people down in the fourth quarter. You move, you spend a lot more energy rushing the passer than you do trying to stop the run as a defensive lineman. So you're gassing the fourth quarter if the team against you pass the ball 50, 50 times and you got to stay out there the whole game. So, uh, I do think that's a big part of it. It's just a lack of depth for the Vikings. And, and just a quick follow-up on that. we and I think I mentioned Kirk Cousins. I mean, you've, you're seeing the numbers. He's averaging around 50 attempts a game, uh, you know, ever since week two. 
How sustainable is that? I know that if they have to bail on the run as they've been doing these er, these last three games, and particularly if that's you know due to the offensive line, if it's due to injuries and not being able to get what they want out of Dalvin Cook, can you see Kirk Cousins continuing this trend where he's putting up these eye popping numbers offensively? And yeah, I know it's week you know it's week four right week five right now. And we talk about the projections, and he's what projected right now to throw. 5,400 yards, something (laughs) absurd like that. But is this a sustainable body of work for Cousins, knowing kind of what we've seen from him the last three years? Yeah, I don't think it necessarily is, but I think a big product of that is you're not going to fall behind as much as they've fallen behind in recent weeks. You're not going to be asking them to, you know, throw, I think, through whatever, you know, 30 times at the end of that Packers game in the fourth quarter in overtime. You just, not, that's not going to happen every single week. This defense is too good. The team's too good. They're going to get ahead of some teams you know, down the stretch. It might not be this week at the Eagles, but you play the Cardinals week after that, Jets week after that. It's going to be some games where you're going to be up and you're going to have to you're going to rely on the run game in the second half. Kirk Cousins isn't going to take nearly as many shots, but it's not sustainable with that offensive line in front of him. They just, you, can't, you can't subject him to that many hits. You have to find a way, whether it's play-action passing, whether it's adding an extra offensive lineman, keeping in more people to pass protect because he's just going to be subject to too many hits, too many sacks that you don't want over the course of the season. He is, you know, your real thing right now. You need to keep him upright. Dropping back to pass that much just not going to be sustainable. Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus joining us here on Purple Live. Matthew Collar along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. Put it into numbers, Mike. Explain to us the exact impact of a quarterback getting pressured as often as Kirk Cousins. I think I saw on Pro Football Focus that it was 42% of his snaps or his dropbacks so far this year are getting pressured. What does that do in general and to Kirk Cousins when he gets pressured? Yeah, so pressure in our world, we track all of it. You know, every time a quarterback is you know, physically affected, moved off his spot, you know, has to, doesn't get to follow through on a throw, something that's going to change. Uh, you know, in his mind, uh, what he's doing. And that usually is a, from a clean pocket, quarterbacks throw, have passer rating in the 90. From a pressured pocket, it's in the 60. So you're basically going from Tom Brady to the worst quarterback in the league just by applying pressure to a quarterback. And so you cannot sustain a pressure rate above 40%. What we've seen from Kirk Cousins in this early season, it's amazing that he's played as well as he has. He's had still an 89.8 passer rating under pressure, which is kind of incredible because he has the fourth highest pressure rate of any quarterback. And the two guys, the three guys above him, Jimmy Garoppolo, Josh Allen, and Deshaun Watson, they're bringing pressure upon themselves. Those guys are holding the ball for a really long time back there. A lot of that was on them. Kirk Cousins isn't bringing it upon himself. He still has a quick release. He's getting rid of the ball. He just a lot of times doesn't have much of a say in the matter whether he's getting pressure or not. So uh, it's it's incredible what he's done so far under pressure, but we've seen over the course of you know all our data that just it's not really going to last. You can't really operate a consistent offense with a quarterback facing that much pressure. He's bound to have games like, well, he did at the Bills, where it just sort of falls apart. Mike Renner, not to be confused with Vikings right guard Mike Remmers. I, I want to <laughs> ask you about the offensive line and jump back quickly on a point that you made um, Talking about just this stretch that they've been in in the first four and now five weeks of the season, you know, they finally get that break once they come back from this gauntlet that ends in Philadelphia, and it kind of is season hanging in the balance here. Um, Things do get considerably easier, though, and especially the defensive linemen that this offensive line is going to face. I mean, Mike Remmers has a pretty tough test this week wherever they're going to line up Fletcher Cox inside, and 
that to me, I wonder about this offensive line. Is it going to get any better? I mean, obviously, when you take a look at the ta- defensive tackles that you know the interior where that where guys have struggled are going to go against weeks you know six through through ten through eleven, the competition seems marginally you know easier. But will that make the offensive line play any appear at least any better? I think it'll appear, it definitely will appear better. When you go up against Aaron Donald, there's a lot of guards who are going to look you know, like the way they did uh, in that game. There's a lot of guards that are going to seat up a bunch of pressure. But uh, I still think if you're in the NFC, you're going to be going up against teams like that in the playoffs. You're going to be going up against teams like the Eagles, who have Fletcher Cox in the playoffs. The Packers even have Kenny Clark and you know Mike Daniels, who did fairly well against that Vikings offensive front. So I you're going to be going up against talented in tiers if you want to win a championship. So from that perspective, I don't think there's any fix in that. When you go up against a team like that, you're, you're off the line probably going to get their butt up just because there's not a lot of talent up there. We know what Mike Bremers is. He's been in the league long enough. And I, I think he's probably even a better tackle than he is a guard, uh, but uh, they just don't have a lot of help there. They just don't have a lot of talent there on the interior. We know who Tom Thompson is. He's not a good guard, so... Uh, these are guys, these are known quality quantities, basically, and I, I don't think there's any sort of light switch that they can flip to all of a sudden fix this. I think, Mike, that that makes it seem like it's really hard for this team to be a legitimate Super Bowl contender if they go into a playoff game or three and are going to get likely mauled by whoever they're playing on the defensive line. But that's not even the conversation right now with where this team sits. It's can they even get back and make themselves a contender again? How do you see that? Do you see it playing out as be patient, they'll get it back together here, and that they are that good, or that the season really does rest in the balance as they go to Philadelphia this week? That, that is the worrisome thing because it's almost similar to what was it a few years ago with Sam Bradford at the helm, where it was so bad to where you just week in and week out you didn't know if the offense was even going to show up, and that's how they were against the Bills. You didn't know if the offense was even going to show up. Now. Presence plays out of his mind, and you know, they dropped 29 against the Packers, 31 against the Rams. Those are good enough offensive performances to win, even though they didn't either. But the fact that it's just going to lead to inconsistency with your offense, uh, you know, if you do face a defensive front who's really dominating you, I think that's the scariest part. And with as good as their defense is or should be, as talented as their defense is, you just want an offense that can be consistent, and it's worrisome that it doesn't look like one that is at this point. Last thing for you, Mike. Biggest surprise of the first four weeks for you? Biggest thing that uh, you geniuses at PFF didn't see coming? Or what What? What might it be that has really shocked you in these uh, first four weeks? I think the fact that the Chiefs are 4-0 and, and, and that they've simply just dominated pretty much everyone offensively. And their, their worst offensive output was still a fairly good offensive output this past week against the Broncos. The fact that you know they are just, that falling away the best offense in the NFL. Not, I guess I'm right up there with the Rams as the best offense in the NFL through four weeks. I, I thought they'd be good. I thought they had a lot of playmakers on the outside. I didn't think they'd be absolutely dominant, which is uh, what they look like now. And I don't say geniuses sarcastically. I mean, you guys do a tremendously good job. You guys help like, us uh, do our job really in ways do. that we would not be able to do if PFF didn't exist. So thank you for existing. <laughs> I truly do appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Mike. Well, we appreciate your time. Make sure you follow Mike Remmer 
on Twitter. Mike Renner. Not, not to be confused with Remmers. Probably, probably about 150 pounds lighter, I'm guessing, at least, than uh, yeah, Mike Remmers. Less. Yeah, probably a little more than that. All right, well. How's thank, your anchor? Thank, his anchor's <laughs> not. Well, he's got. Uh, Mike can dunk. Did you know that? I saw somebody. You somebody you responded to you about that today. And you said we only have analysts on the show who can dunk. So yeah, props to you, Mike. I'll leave you too many, but thank you for that. <laughs> All right, Mike. Thanks very much for your time, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, you guys have a good one. Thank and uh, follow him on Twitter at pff underscore Mike. He's still one of those people that's using the underscore. Right? I would not advise that on Twitter, but uh, we appreciate his analysis there. And let's talk about it when we come back. Make a break in Philadelphia and Delvin Cook and what our expectations for him for the rest of the season are because the first quarter of his season coming back from the ACL has not really been very productive. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin on Purple Live. In a sea of purple, this is one deep dive. It's Purple Live with Matthew Collar. Yeah, I still have faith in this football team and we can come back and and uh, get to where we need to. But, you know, we've only got two losses, so I'm not, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about how we play. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Technically, you only have two losses, but you kind of have two and a half losses, or three is the way that I would kind of look at that, that if you don't win this week, if you're the Minnesota Vikings, and you have one win in the first five weeks, it is almost impossible to see you winning the division and very unlikely getting into the playoffs. This is Purple Live, our last segment of the evening here. If you missed any of the show, you can download it at 1500ESPN.com or on the Purple Podcast feed, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin. Do you agree, Courtney, that if they don't win this week, it's very difficult to see them even being a playoff team? Particularly because you take a look at the schedule of other teams in the NFC North. I mean, the Packers have they're at the Lions this week, then they have the 49ers, and they have a bye week before their really tough stretch. So if they're going to jump out a few more games on you, it's you know it's not the point of the season where you want to fall behind to one three and one. So I'm I'm completely in agreement that the season hangs in the balance, and you know for this defense, uh, a bounce back performance isn't just needed here; it's necessary to keep your high aspirations for a team that you know a month ago was kind of talking Super Bowl, you know, preseason Super Bowl goals. Let's talk about Delvin Cook for a second here. Uh, coming into week one, he looked great in training camp. He didn't get a whole lot of preseason action, only a couple of carries. But what we saw from him on the practice field, he looked like the same old Delvin Cook. And in week one, he shredded tackles. He caught some passes out of the backfield, and it looked like, okay, this is exactly what we expected from this guy. Even though the run blocking wasn't great, he was still breaking tackles all over the place, making plays. Then the hamstring gets hurt, and I'm not going to say, oh, do you wonder if he's injury prone? Because, like, I don't really believe injury prone is a real thing. Like I, I just I don't think that that is a real thing that happens. I think that sometimes you get injured and sometimes you don't. Like Tyler Eifert, someone falls on your leg. Mm-hmm. It's, there's a lot of randomness that goes into it. Uh, but do we think that this second quarter of the season we will see Delvin Cook as we expected to see him? Or is the offensive line going to hold him back so badly that we're never going to see him and he's going to have like... Remember when Todd Gurley averaged like three yards a carry a couple of years ago with Jeff Fisher? And the bad offensive line, are we going to see that from Delvin Cook because the line can't block? His season hangs in the balance with this offensive line. That's that's what this boils down to because you can only do so much in, in run blocking. And I think he even in week one, 
I put, we pointed this out to each other during the game that it's not the left side of the offensive line that, you know, he looks hesitant running in between. At that point, it was Brett Jones and, and Mike Remmers. And even, you know, beyond that, between Remmers and Rashad Hill, there's, you know, his field vision, you know, you, you would think just with the left side of the line with Tom Compton being in there, he'd be hesitant. But I think across the board, given the personnel that they have out there, it's going to be an up and down battle for him. And to the point of his injuries that, I've gotten that same question, like, oh, is he injury prone? Is is this the best we're going to see out of Dalvin Cook, that he's either hot or cold? And I remind you that in 2016, he had the shoulder surgery, and he had the hamstring injury in October, and he still came back to 22,253 rushing yards. I don't know what record that was, but I know he shattered. yeah. Yeah, Florida State. He shattered a million records when he was there. It's an, it's an unlucky thing. And the reason that they were so cautious with it and not making him play through it against Buffalo and then obviously wanting to bring him back in the pitch count last week, it's the same leg that he tore his ACL. That mm. is something that you have to monitor and monitor closely. I think Dalvin Cook, this, this next quarter of the season, it's all going to depend on what's going on in front of him. But there are ways to get him involved. You know, line him up in the slot. You know, get creative. Yes. We we've seen John D. Filippo do it. Um, you know, with his running backs. Actually, last week, Mike Boone and Rock Thomas were used in pass protection. They picked up blockers along, I believe, with Kyle Rudolph on the two plays that I'm thinking about in my head. Um, not saying that that's what you need to do, but I mean, with a guy like Dalvin Cook, he's obviously more than that. But you can create some explosion with him in the passing game just fine by lining him up as a slot receiver. Yeah, and that may be how they end up have, having to do it, to I get mean, him the they, ball. And, and that's kind of what they did. I mean, you brought up Todd Gurley. I mean, to be able to mitigate some of those issues, from what I remember from his rookie year going into his you know first year with Sean McVay, he's lined up a lot outside. Miguel, you got about a minute. Go ahead. Hey, I just want to know, don't you think Anthony Barr should maybe go down as a pass rusher? Because ever since Everson went uh, had that foot injury, the D ain't been the same. And think about, we're talking about the old old line. Well, of course, the offensive line is key to the run and pass game. But here's the one. Here's the killer part. You just said that the backs got to stay in and chip. Think about the great offenses that aren't having backs staying in and chip. Yeah. The offensive line is able to hold up so that they put more pressure on the defenses by having five guys out in the route. Mm-hmm. Kelsey's not chipping. You know what I mean? You, yeah. don't see Cal- you don't see Camara out here chipping. You see these guys out in routes putting pressure on the defense, but you can't do that if your offensive line sucks. And yeah. I mean, you, It's a great point, Miguel. It's Thank a you great point, call. which is why I would expect to see more multiple tight end sets, you know, bringing in two in-line blockers on one side of the line. I mean, and it makes sense. To your point, sorry, uh, to your point about Anthony Barr, I think we both agree, right? That, yeah, that I don't know. Something has to change here, and I think Stephen Weatherly has done pretty well, but Anthony Barr has only rushed 32 times through four weeks. I mean, that's just that's just not enough for a guy who I think can get after the quarterback and has had a pretty good success rate of creating pressure throughout his career. And bottom line, if you want that franchise tag, you need to do things like that. I mean, a lot of that, I'm not putting this on Anthony Barr. I mean, he's he does what he's told to go in, uh, you know, as the as a fifth, uh, you know, fifth guy rushing the quarterback, but. His value here is much higher as a defensive end when you're taking a look at his whole body of work, um, you know, to bring it kind of, you know, in some of those pass rushing snaps as you know, coming off the edge. You need to see more of it because this team is kind of still reeling and it will continue to reel from not having Everson Griffin, your Pro Bowl right defensive end out there. And Daniil Hunter can't do it all alone.
They need to bring in a lot of different reinforcements, however they can, whether it's blitzing more. And I mean, obviously, as we talked about, the play action passing game throws off your pass rush, but you got to find other ways to do it. Where do we rank Everson not being here as reasons why the defense hasn't been as good? Because I put it, I mean, of course, they played the first two weeks and their defense was better in those two weeks. Green Bay put up some points and Everson wasn't as good in that game. He was dominant against San Francisco and you saw the impact that they had on Jimmy Garoppolo. I look at what they did to the Rams last year when they allowed seven points, that they were able to pressure Jared Goff quite a bit in that game and they were not able to the other night. And I thought that was a, a major factor. It's not just the bootlegs and things like that. I think it's also not having one of the purely elite players at your position. Yeah, sure. And I mean, that that alone is a huge reason why I think this team was shook from in the Buffalo game. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any denying that kind of with players knowing what was going on and, and you know, going out there without one of their vocal leaders, without one of their captains. Um, and they just aren't forcing enough turnovers. I mean, we kind of talked, this is a similar trend that we saw last year's number one defense. that just didn't force a lot of turnovers. You brought up that Rams game. I'm thinking in my head of the Cooper cup, uh, fumble, fumble near right. the end zone. I mean, that, that was an important as Anthony Harris, a critical turnover at a critical time. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin, Purple Live. We're going to do this all the time. Also, just want to mention that uh, Manny and I are going to be out at uh, Lucky's 13 on Thursday. Where? Which one? There's a bunch of them, Manny. Help me out. Mendota. There is a bunch of them. I need to Mendota. the Mendota, I believe. That's yes. the one. Okay, so we're going to be there. So you people come celebrate your football. Talk a little football with us. We will be recording the Purple Podcast there. I also suggest that you download the Purple Podcast, and we will do this again next Tuesday. Thank you, everybody, who gave us a call tonight. Thank you, Courtney, for coming by. And uh, we're headed out to the TCO Performance Center for another week of it and leading you up to a big game in Philadelphia. So thank you for listening to Purple Live.